Welcome to the Maple Grove Scripture Reading Podcast, Episode 3, Genesis 41 through 50, and Exodus 1 through 9. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Scripture Reading Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Spencer, and today we're going to be finishing up the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and then we're going to start our discussion of Exodus. And just a quick reminder, be sure to check out our webpage at maplegrove.church slash scripture, and click on the episode 3 page to join the conversation there. Leave a comment, let us know what you found interesting in this week's passages. Okay, so let's jump in. When we finished off last week, we left off with Jacob's son, Joseph, in prison, and he had been forgotten by the cupbearer after he was reinstated to his position by Pharaoh. Joseph was in the prison for two years. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 41, and we're just going to start in the first verse there. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Pharaoh woke up. So Pharaoh's got this dream. And he tries to get as many people as he can to interpret it for him. Nobody can. And then the cupbearer remembers his promise to Joseph that he wouldn't forget him. And I guess technically he didn't forget him. It only took two years for him to remember, though, when he could have remembered pretty much immediately. But God waits for the opportune time. This is the opportune time. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph, asks him if he can interpret the dream. And Joseph has an interesting reply because in chapter 41, verse 16, he says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desired. So again, Joseph is giving God all of the credit. We see this all throughout his time that he's had in Egypt, in, in slavery, where he is just relying on God this entire time. And, and we've seen the benefits of that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. So Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. Joseph interprets it and says that God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do with seven good years of crops, followed by seven years of famine. And after all of that, Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 39 of uh, chapter 41, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And so Pharaoh places Joseph in charge, basically like second in command of all of Egypt, which is unbelievable, I think. But you know what? This is what we've seen in Joseph's life so far after he's been put into slavery by his brothers. I mean, think about it. When he was in Potiphar's house, he was in charge of the household there. And when he was placed in jail, because God was with him, he was placed over all of the other prisoners in jail. And so to have him placed in second in command of Egypt, it is surprising and yet not at the same time, I think. At least for me. So there are seven good years, and then the famine comes. Joseph oversaw a stockpile of food in preparation for the famine. 
people come from all around to Egypt to purchase grain, and that includes from the land of Israel, which wasn't actually Israel at the time, but that includes Joseph's brothers who had sold him into slavery, and they come before Joseph, and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And eventually, after sending them home, making them return with his youngest brother, Benjamin, I think he was having fun with them at some point because he kept putting in their their money back into their bags and made them all paranoid and worried, which I would be too if I were at the mercy of the Egyptians. But that that's what he did to them. And he has them bring back Benjamin, his youngest brother, Eventually, though, he reveals himself to them. Let me read to you from chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt." Again, it is just amazing to see the response of Joseph, the wisdom of Joseph. He realizes that even though his brothers put him into slavery, his brothers sold him, threatened to kill him, wanted to kill him, he knew that it wasn't them that did it because he's able to see the whole picture. His brothers couldn't see that, but he's able to see the whole picture and he knows God's promise to his father, to his grandfather, to his great-grandfather, that, that there will be a great nation that comes from their line. And he says to them that, that this nation, this remnant is being saved by God through his working with Joseph and, and his dealing with Joseph. So this famine is affecting all the surrounding areas of Egypt, which includes what will be Israel, where Joseph's brothers are, there is a strong possibility that they would not have survived had Joseph not been in Egypt and interpreted Pharaoh's dream and prepared Egypt in the seven good years for the seven years of famine. So he has his brothers go and return with his father Jacob to live out his final days in Egypt. And he was able to reunite with his son, whom he thought was dead. And then Jacob passes away. Joseph's brothers, they were worried about him having retribution for what they did to him. Which again, it's so interesting to me because they had been spending time with him, but they were so afraid that he was going to, and, and now that he's in, in a place of power, that he was going to have them all killed for what they did to him. But in verse 19 of chapter 50, it says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. 
I think this is the most important thing that we can learn from Joseph's life. He gave his life over to God. And even though bad things happened to him, lots of bad things happened to him, continually God used these bad things in a way that you wouldn't expect. It could have been easy for Joseph to get down, but he didn't. He continued serving the Lord the best that he could. And he didn't hold his brothers accountable for it because, like we said earlier in chapter 45, he says that God is the one that put him into this position so he could save his brothers. What a great passage. What a great ending to the book of Genesis. And so that'll move us on to the book of Exodus, our second book in the Read Scripture series. So we've got one down, 65 more to go. So 400 years have passed. If we look back to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to see that God predicted to Abraham, way back in chapter 15 of Genesis, God predicted to Abraham what was going to happen. If we look in verses 13 through 16, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, that would be Egypt, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So a new pharaoh has come to power. After 400 years, of course, you would think that would happen. Let me read to you from chapter 1 of Exodus, verses 6 through 10. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly because and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. And so what did they do in verse 11? So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So Pharaoh is has realized that this is a small nation and Pharaoh recognizes this and he doesn't know Joseph he doesn't know about anything of Joseph being second in command or anything like that and he realizes that this is a, a nation rising up within his own nation and he knows that he's got to keep them under control and so what he does is force them into slavery but then he gets a little more drastic because he gives orders for all of the young boys to be thrown into the nile and killed however though because god always will find a way a boy was saved he was hidden by his mother after he was born and after i think 3 months he was placed in a basket in the nile and he was found by pharaoh's daughter and she raised him and so moses is this boy 
in the next scene that we see with him, he's grown up and he kills a man. And because of this, he flees Egypt and he goes to a place called Midian. And it's there as he's working as a shepherd that he encounters a burning bush, a story that most of us are probably familiar with, but he's speaking to God. And God tells him to go to Pharaoh and to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses' reaction is one of just, let's go. Let's get this over with. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, God. No, it's not that reaction. It's, it's crazy. Let me read to you from verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses doesn't want to do this. He's trying to already get out of it. God said to him in verse 12, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, so again, you'd think Moses would be ready to go. But he's not, because in verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your father, the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. But Moses kept questioning God's command. He kept trying to find a way out of it. He says in verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. So he didn't think that he got more eloquent in the five minutes or whatever that he's been talking with God. And he says, I am slow of speech and tongue. In verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses finally gets to a point where he asks God in, in verse 13, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. He's tried every way to get out of it, and now he's just being blunt with God, I guess. And this is a point where, again, just interesting verses here. In verse 14, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if he, as if you were God to him. God had had enough with, with Moses at that point. And he gives him a, a way that he couldn't get out of it. And so Moses finally agrees, and as God tells him to use Aaron as his speaker, and he prepares to return to Egypt with his family. Now, on the way, there's this strange passage <laughs> to me. In verses 24 through 26 of chapter 4, let me read those to you. It's so, uh, just, it's an odd passage, I think. But verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. 
But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So I read this, and I've read this passage before, and every time I'm like, what is going on here? It seemed, yes, Moses, or uh, God was angry at Moses back in verse 14, but it seemed like everything had worked out. And now God is so angry to the point that he is going to kill Moses. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what happened. Like, I'm not sure what's going on. So what I did, I did a little bit of extra research for this. And the the Bible knowledge commentary kind of sums up what most say happened. Let me read to you what the Bible knowledge commentary says. It says, The circumcision of Moses' son seems strange. In his years in Midian, Moses had neglected to obey God's command to circumcise one or maybe both of his sons. So God was about to kill Moses, perhaps by causing him to be gravely ill. Zipporah reluctantly circumcised her son with flint, and then God healed his prophet. Her touching Moses' feet with the son's foreskin was probably a symbolic act of substitution in which obedience was seen as replacing disobedience. Zipporah called Moses a bridegroom of blood. The meaning of this phrase is unknown, but some say it could have been used as a in a derogatory way to suggest that she didn't favor the right, but she did it to save her husband's life. Now, others propose that she saw in the act a sort of redemption by which the blood of the youngster restored Moses to the Lord and also to her as a new bridegroom. Moses' sudden illness was a warning that he must obey God wholly and fulfill his mission. So I hope that that kind of clears that up a little bit for you. Um, it did for me. Uh, I just uh, is such a strange passage that I really wanted to look that up as well. So Moses and Aaron they get together and then they appear before Pharaoh and say in chapter five, verse one, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the desert." But Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord, and he denies the request. He also makes the work of brick-making harder on the Israelites who are in captivity. And so so Moses goes to the Lord in the end of chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Chapter 6 starts with, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm 
and with mighty acts of judgment. Seriously, what a change we see from Joseph to, to Moses. Joseph continued to trust God in every circumstance. I mean, he went through some terrible, terrible things, and yet he trusted God. Now, Moses, who hasn't had it quite as hard as Joseph did, he continues to question and complain to God almost at the drop of a hat. But now we move on, and we move on to the ten plagues. We read only seven this week, but a passage that stuck out to me happened after the sixth plague, the plague of boils, and that was in chapter 9, verses 13 through 16, right before the plague of hail, actually. The Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and your against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. What an amazing passage. What a thing to say to Pharaoh, a man who obviously doesn't believe in the Lord. And even when he says, you know, the Lord is doing this, I I don't really think that he believes what he's saying because constantly his heart is hardened. Uh, it talks about this in the the Bible Project videos about Pharaoh's heart hardening. And, and you see in the first five plagues, it, it just says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened or Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And it doesn't start until the plague of boils where the Lord starts to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so if you haven't seen the video for that, if you haven't seen the Bible Project video for this first part of Exodus, then I would highly, highly recommend you do that. They give a very good explanation of of what's going on here. Okay, so we've got seven plagues this week. Let me just list those out for you. You've got water turning to blood. You've got the plague of frogs, which has a pretty funny story in it, at least to me, because Moses goes to Pharaoh and, and... tells Pharaoh that he can pick any time for this plague to end. And Pharaoh says, ah, just do it tomorrow. I, he probably didn't say it like that, but he, he chose tomorrow instead of like right now. Okay, so you got the plague of frogs, you've got the plague of gnats, flies, uh, the livestock dying, plague of boils, and hail. Now, I've, I've read before that each of these plagues, they were aimed directly at the false gods of the Egyptians, letting the Egyptians know that the god of the Hebrews is the one true god. I think that's a great place to end this week's discussion. If if you want to keep it going, though, visit our episode page on our website, maplegrove.church slash read scripture, and let us know your thoughts on, on this week's scripture reading. Next week, we're going to be getting into Exodus 10 through 29. We're going to cover the Passover and the actual Exodus from Egypt, as well as getting to Mount Sinai. I'm looking forward to it. I've always enjoyed reading through Exodus, and and I hope that you will, too. I hope that you have so far. Thanks again, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Maple Grove Christian Church Scripture Reading Podcast. 
You can find out more information about our church at our website at www.maplegrove.church. You can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MGCCBtown. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Thanks again for listening.